I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on Rico and Rap. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You know, in the last couple of years, we have seen a number of high-profile cases from Casanova to Sue Surf involving allegations against high-profile rappers and other artists, accusing them of being parts of gangs that are committing very serious violent crimes, including even murder. Some people are saying hip-hop is being targeted. Some saying these artists are being targeted even after they put the streets behind them. Other people are saying, you know what? That might've been back in the day, but today a lot of artists are trying to walk that line with the streets on one side and their music career on the other. We're gonna break down this whole issue of Rico and rap for you. On this episode of Street Soldiers, we've got a fantastic panel to help us understand what's really going on so you can make up your own mind. Joining me is Chuck Kriegmer. He's the CEO and co-founder of allhiphop.com. Chuck, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. We appreciate it. Also with us is Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense attorney and founding partner of the law firm Hamilton Clark LLP, one of the few Black-owned law firms in Manhattan. Phil, thank you so much for being with us. Lisa, thanks for having me, as always. Thank you. Also with us is Amir Muhadith. He's formerly known as the hip-hop artist called Loon. He is currently working on food insecurity with his new program called Paid Meals, doing a lot of work in the community and working on telling his story so that he can alert young men especially, to what's really going on and the consequences of their actions. He was also formerly incarcerated on a federal charge, so he knows what he's talking about. Amir, thank you so much for being with us. Man, always a pleasure, Lee. We appreciate it. Chuck, I want to start with you on this. Are we seeing more cases, or are they just getting more attention because these rappers and artists have such huge followings? Well, I think we're seeing more cases because the technology has allowed for uh, people to share their lives more. And unfortunately, the surveillance is, is much easier now than ever before. Uh, personally, I can honestly say as a rap fan, <clears throat> I didn't know what KRS-One was doing when he made the album Criminal Minded, right? But um, there was a lot of talk on that album, but nobody knew what they were really going through in their real lives. So what they were going through, I mean, who knows, you know what I mean? But right now, I think a lot of artists are trying to prove they're real or authentic or, you know, uh, about that life or whatever the case may be. And, um, and showing that in some instances in real time. Amir, you've just come home really literally the last couple of years after doing a nine-year bid on a federal charge, a conspiracy charge. Tell us how that changed your life and what do you think of what's going on now? Well, I think that what it did for me first and foremost, personally, it enabled me opportunity to kind of grow, you know, kind of sit down and, you know, reflect on a lot of things that, you know, you take for granted when you kind of live in that spontaneous lifestyle. But, the reality of what I've learned through the course of incarceration that, you know, the federal uh, uh, um, Bureau of Prisons or the BOP or the criminal justice system, they are definitely, you know, targeting a lot of youth who are being given kingpin charges and leadership roles where they don't fit the criteria. You know, when we look at, you know, the FBI or, you know, DEA and these, you know, these behemoth of you know, departments, 
that go after organized, organized criminals, you know what I'm saying, and how they utilize, you know, the, their resources and stuff to target young, you know what I'm saying, individuals who are not that sophisticated. This was something that was designed for the mafia, for the mob, for, for real organized criminals. So when you see a young kid, you know, coming into the federal system in his early 20s, and he has a leadership role, he's about to do 30, 40 years of his life, and, and through the course of his whole quote-unquote criminal career, he's probably only amassed maybe $30,000, $40,000. Like all of his stuff fits in a shoebox. You're talking about his money, his jewelry, his gun, everything fits in a shoebox, and he's being charged as if he's a major distributor or he's supplying, you know what I'm saying, drugs and, and guns through the whole Eastern Seaboard. And it's like, it, it, it's something that is just, you know, it, it's just weaponized. You know, what I'm saying to like law and the, the laws. Let let me let me bring in Philip Hamilton because Phil, you you have defended defended artists. You've also won cases against the feds. And then when you see this happening, are these charges being used for things that, like with the Sue Surf indictment um, being used for things that they were not intentionally or originally used for? What what's your take? Because you hear all these stories and see all these lives impacted. No, I think this is, to be frank with you, exactly what a lot of these laws were intended for. I mean, uh, I'm not even actually old enough to remember. However, you know, there was a day when the mafia was running New York City. And the issue that the law enforcement in many respects had was infiltrating the mafia and the overall organization to be able to get to the people at the top, right? Because the people at the top, right, the heads of the five families or what have you, they didn't actually do any of the work themselves. They put in orders for a lot of people on the lower rungs to put in the work that ultimately, to the extent that anyone was going to get caught, it was typically them. But then how could law enforcement make a case against those who were making the orders when there was no direct proof of their responsibility or their engagement? So what you had, particularly around that time when Rudy Giuliani came in as the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, and just generally around that time nationally, you had a lot of prosecutorial offices, particularly at the federal government level, starting to use these RICO and racketeering-oriented prosecutions to be able to hold the people at the top responsible for what was going down at the bottom, right? And essentially turning what typically people just looked at in terms of being criminals and labeling them as criminal enterprises or organizations such that the activities that were taking place at the bottom could be directly attributed in terms of responsibility to the people at the top. It's as simple as that. So whenever these laws initially came about, it was to be able to help law enforcement get to the people that were more shielded at the top, that were making most of the money, and that were enabling these organizations to continue forward. So whether that's the mafia, whether that's the rolling 60s, whether that's the Bloods, whether that's MS-13, it doesn't matter. That's just a name for any different organization, no different than we have different names of organizations for Fortune 500 companies. At the end of the day, the heart of the law is to get inside and infiltrate these organizations such that it's much easier for them to be taken down. It's much easier for them to not amass huge sums of money and basically for the government to keep the system in check and in place. All right, coming up, we're going to take, uh, take a look at the Sue Surf case as the latest and some of the other ones where artists have ended up behind bars. Did they deserve to be there or were they targeted? That's coming up next. Yeah, 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 salute. This is General Steele from Smith & Wesson. And right now you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl, Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97.
Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about Rico and rap. We're hearing an increasing number of artists, most recently Sue Serb, not too long ago Casanova. There have been others that have been hit with these charges. Do they deserve to face these charges? Do they deserve to be behind bars for them? What's going on here? Are they being targeted because of their race, because of their profession, because of their neighborhood, because of their circumstances? Or are these serious crimes? That's what we're talking about with our panel. Joining me is Chuck Kriegmer. He's a CEO and co-founder of allhiphop.com. Chuck, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Also with us is attorney Phil Hamilton. He's a criminal defense attorney and founding partner of Hamilton Clark LLP. Phil, great to have you with us. Thanks as always, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Amir Muhadip. He was formerly the hip hop artist known as Loon. He's currently working on a major national food insecurity program with called Paid Meals, where he's trying to deal with this issue of, of hunger in America. And he's been home for a couple of years from doing a nine-year bid on a federal charge. Amir, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you, Lisa. Appreciate it. Amir, give us an idea of how you got caught up in the system, because a lot of people remember you from your, your former life, basically before that where you're out there, you're a member of Bad Boy Records during the whole glamour era of hip hop in, in New York where there were parties all the time and that type of thing, the furs, the jewelry, the all of that. Um, give us an idea of your story of how you got caught up in that situation. Well, my situation, I, I was um, placed in a conspiracy based on hearsay and what they call ghost dope. So hearsay, you know what hearsay is and ghost dope is drugs that don't actually exist. So, you know, my involvement in the streets, I had left in the rear view since like 2008. I was indicted in 2011. So what happens is, you know, in this type of time, you know, conspiracies and people who are involved in conspiracies can easily involve other individuals just by having co-conspirators or people, two or three people coerce and bringing another person onto their case. So for me, I never saw heroin a day in my life. You know, I've done a lot of things that, you know, I can't not to speak about, but the reality of it is all I did was introduce two people to each other and they continued with an ongoing, you know, conspiracy to sell drugs or whatever the case may be. So being that I was a public figure and I had criminal history, it was easy for a prosecutor to shape a case around me you know what I'm saying, to my quote-unquote jury, uh, uh, jury, jury of my peers, and I was indicted, you know what I'm saying, as, uh, uh, for conspiring to, dis uh, to possess with intent to distribute one key uh, more of heroin. So this is something that is extremely prevalent and widespread throughout, you know what I'm saying, the, uh, 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 federal, the federal system, is that like Phil mentioned, they utilize these these resources and tactics, you know, saying to, you know, shake up things within conspiracies and break certain individuals where they start to, you know, uh, 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 bring other people onto their conspiracy to save themselves from the impact of dealing with the consequences that come with their involvement in the conspiracy. So myself, I was, you know, I was grabbed by Interpol in Belgium. I was living in Egypt at the time, studying at Al-Azhar University, far removed from anything that have anything to do with the streets. But like I said, because of a criminal history and a minor involvement with certain individuals was more than enough for me to get, you know, sentenced to a 14 year 
you know, sentence. And if I went to trial, I would have had to pay the trial tax, which Phil is very familiar with the trial tax is a life sentence for, you know, going to trial. If you decide to go to trial instead of taking a deal. Amir, I'm, I'm so glad you're with us now. And it's so great to see how the, all the good work that you're doing in the community and helping people. But your story illustrates a lot of points that I keep getting asked about. So let me get it. Let me get um, some feedback from our other guests. So, Phil, one thing is the far reach of the feds. So Amir was this was something uh, people he met years before that. And yet he's caught up and charges are brought against him. Is there ever a statute of limitations with these conspiracy charges? Because we also saw with R. Kelly, the, the federal case in the Eastern District in Brooklyn was based on two incidents that happened allegedly in the 1990s, going back to there. So what about this timeline that they have? Can they just grab anything from any time? I mean, without taking you through the bore of like breaking out all of the statute of limitations, here's the main thing I'll say, Lisa they are told, right? They are essentially frozen while the conspiracy is allegedly ongoing, right? So if me and Chuck enter into some agreement to carry out some illicit activity back in 97, and over the course of the last 25 years, we have been doing exactly what we set out to do and plan to do. And within doing that, we are breaking, you know, federal law, state law, what have you, even though we may have started this 25 years ago, they can totally introduce evidence against us, you know, going back to October of 97, if in fact what we were doing back then is what is allowing us to continue to prosper from a criminal perspective now, right? So when you talk about R. Kelly, remember that's what they were doing. They were alleging that he ran a criminal organization that was basically for the purposes of satisfying his own, you know, sexual needs or what have you. And that that lasted from, you know, the early 90s all the way through, you know, 02 with that video and, you know, through up and through almost to the extent when he was actually being prosecuted, like here in the Eastern District. Right. So, I mean, yes, there's a statute of limitations. Once Chuck and I end our conspiracy, I mean, at a certain point, the government or the state prosecutorial authorities have to come after us. Or at a certain point, we would be able to allege that, hey, this the time has passed, statute of limitations. But to the extent that the conspiracy is still ongoing, they can continue to prosecute. And that's why a lot of times you really have to be careful who you associate with, decisions that you make, whether it's last year or five years ago, because with respect to the reach of the feds, which was your initial question, Lisa, it is very overbroad. And they can go really deep and they can wait. They don't have to come at you the day of. They can sit back and wait and watch you move yourself from what may have been a lower level crime to now you're dealing with some of the kingpin stuff just because of the collective weight, if we're talking in the sense of drugs, that you've been pushing or moving over the course of the years, or you made an introduction that helped someone else do that. It's deep. So this is what I'm always telling clients. It's what I'm telling you know some of these younger artists that are thinking about coming in to a more legitimate business. You got to leave a lot of that street stuff on the streets, because to the extent that you don't, even as you move on and legitimize and legalize. It really catch up with you because as, as one person who I won't name told me, he goes, Lisa, he goes, the feds are paid to be patient. Yes. Like, you're hustling, you're running, you're doing this, you're doing that. But Chuck, well, let's let's talk about the, the Sue Surf case because a lot of people were shocked by that. First of all, the, the battle rap community knows him, hardcore hip hop fans know him, but in terms of his the reaction to his indictment and his arrest, where, first, let's talk about where he was. Where was he in his career at the time of his arrest, his recent arrest? 
I mean, he's 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 been at the his the peak of his career for a very long time. You know, um, I mentioned before he's really on that Mount Rushmore of battle rap. You know, he's the um, one of those <clears throat> that's you know really in the Hall of Fame already. And he retired for a while, but you know the game battle rap game called him back. So he he actually came back. So he's a draw. So he's able to make more money than any well, than most people, I should say, in battle rap because he's a draw. It's like Mike Tyson. You know, if you have Mike Tyson, you're going to it doesn't matter how old Mike Tyson is. You're going to that fight. Right. <laughs> he's the same type of person. You know what I mean? And you're lucky to be in the undercard. So um, I think that the battle rap community is going to feel it because you don't have that person anymore. You know, from an industry standpoint, you don't have that kind of person in the, you know, in the game anymore. What about the issue that what about the issue that that our other guests raised talking about this, this whole thing of and we've had many discussions about this, as have many people about the streets versus the music industry. People will yeah. say, you know what, once you start to do your music thing, you have to decide to leave the streets behind. There was a yeah. documentary recently about Lil Baby. And congratulations on all his success. And he had to leave all this money that he was making on the streets behind in order to do his music career and become as successful as he was. But are we, is there a growing gray area where they're still hustling on the streets? They're still part of a gang and yet they're still mixing, you know, they're rising up the, rising up the charts or rising up the, you know, in the, in the competitions. I mean, I think it's time for real talk time. You know what I mean? And Please, let's do it. Stop playing games with it. In yeah. hip hop now, if you want to be a superstar, you have to be affiliated. You know, if you want to really, you know, you if you want that brute force to get through to the top, you you have to be affiliated. You have to be connected to somebody or something to make that happen. If you want to be protected in every city, you have to be affiliated and connected if you're going to be that type of rapper. Um, and as well, you know, when you uh, want to profess yourself to be the realist or the illest or whatever you claim to be, now you have you have to prove that. You know, it's not enough to say it on record or to have the illest gun bars in a battle wow. or to say you're in the trap. They want you to be in the trap. Yeah. And I think that hip hop was created to 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 leave that behind. That's what it was for. I mean. That's literally what hip hop came out of. To be a way out, to be a way yeah. out. All right, so well, when we come back, I'm gonna ask our guests, is the music is the, is the music actually being used now as a recruiting tool for different gang sets? That's what we're gonna find out when we come back. Stay with us. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You did. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about Rico versus rap. Is hip hop in a state of crisis? What is going on? Why are we seeing these heavy duty federal cases being brought against big name hip hop stars at what seems to be an increasingly high rate? Joining me for this conversation, Chuck Creekmore. He's a CEO and co-founder of allhiphop.com. Chuck, great to have you with us. Thank you. Also joining us is Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense attorney and founding partner of Hamilton Clark LLP. It is one of the few black owned law firms in Manhattan probably in the city. And he's also um, won cases against in federal cases and represented artists as well. Phil, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate it. Also with us is Amir Muhadik. 
He's the formerly known as the artist, hip hop artist, bad boy artist, Loon. And uh, he's currently working with a food insecurity in America uh, from his program, the new platform, Paid Meals. Amir, great to have you with us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Chuck, what do you say to people who are shaking their head right now at the state of what's going on in hip hop saying, you know what? These lyrics are being used as recruiting tools for gangs, for different sets, to create beefs, and to just, for some people to just behind the scenes make a lot of money. What do you say to that? It's, that's a tough that's a tough one right there. I mean, it's, it's layers. It's, it's a lot of layers to that that right there. But I, I would say that's that's more or less true. Um, I would say that. Um, and no, let me keep it real. I don't I don't live in that world at all. You know what I mean? But it just seems like um, it's so pervasive in the youth that back in the day, <clears throat> you might have somebody like, say, Snoop or whatever. And, and, and you knew Snoop, Snoop was a crip but you never got the impression that he was recruiting other people to be in the same situation that he came up in. He, he always seemed like he was a representative, but never a recruitment. Now it seems like you have people like Takashi 69 or whatever. And I think it's universally accepted that he was never a part of that life in any way, shape or form, but he was brought in based on his talent or his ability to, shake things up or whatever and he was a vehicle for people to make money and so i think a lot of people are talented young individuals who are looking for the pathway and then you're looking at other people who are looking for another pathway which is to make money or funnel a funnel whatever you want to call it and um they're a vehicle to get to something and those young people, the thirst is, is ridiculous now. I don't think people want to hold it down. They don't have the patience. I don't think they even have the um, moxie to, to do it alone anymore, you know? Um, and so when you speak certain types of lyrics, you need backup every step of the way, which to me is crazy. Like a lot of the artists that I love, they're acting, you know, the check-in thing where you got to check in in any right. city going. They're like, I don't, I don't check in with anybody when I go to LA or anywhere else. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, but it's it's about what you're talking about in your rhymes. And if you go to LA with whatever type of energy, you might have to check in with that same energy to make sure you're straight. No, and uh, I learned about the check-in in uh in LA. It was very it's a very it's a very real thing. Phone calls were made and that we were good, but there's a, just trying to film and, and tell a story. But anyway, yeah. Phil, in, in terms of the social media aspect, in terms of the music, because the there's a lot of a lot of talk too about the, the music itself being used as evidence in these these RICO cases. And is a RICO case the same thing as a conspiracy case? Essentially, yes. I mean, RICO typically will involve, involve a lot of conspiracies, right? Conspiracies with intent to distribute controlled substances, conspiracies with intent to, you know, possess weapons, right? Like, I mean, whatever people are coming together to say, hey, it would make sense for this organization to have more guns, right? It would make sense for this organization, whatever the name of it is, right, to have more money. So in order to have more money, we need to do more illicit things, right? So like, whatever it ultimately may be that founds the organization fiscally is that is illegal, that will generally ground a conspiracy charge, right? Which will fall within a RICO prosecution. And, you know, I think, Amir, you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, it, it was deep where you went when you're discussing how, from a cultural perspective, you know, let's just be frank, like we as Black people, our subculture is so, particularly within hip hop, invested in bringing what should be in the dark 
to light. And the way that that typically is happening, particularly with this younger generation, is via social media, right? They grew up with it. They grew up in it. They were, baby pictures are posted on Facebook and IG and TikTok. And now ultimately, so are their illicit activities. And when they are, they're really putting themselves in position where it just makes it so much easier for law enforcement to not even necessarily have to go out and do stakeouts and do all of these dangerous kinds of things that could have gotten them maybe hurt. And they don't need a lot of people, right? They need just sitting in the office, just scrolling through, this should be an indictment, this should be an indictment. Oh, who is this? Let's figure out who this is. And it's just changed the nature of investigations and made it a lot easier for a lot of these young men and women, you know, within the industry and within the culture to get themselves caught up in these RICO indictments probably more so than it ever was, say, back in the 80s or 90s. You know what I mean? And Loon, what about the content of the the, the the content of the music, what the music is talking about? I mean, you know, prayer is based on people praying, you know, you're, you're praying for good things to happen. You're praying for, you know, for positive things to happen. And the repetition is supposed to help change the energy in a positive way. We're seeing that the, the, a lot of the lyrics are very negative. There's, there's all kinds of threats. There's all kinds, that type of thing. Very different from the music that was popular and that we were dancing to in, in kind of the bad boy heyday there where there were parties every night and it was just, you know, it was all about the fun and the party. The thing is, I haven't really listened. I don't listen to music. You know, I haven't listened to music in over 13 years. But wow. every time I catch wind of what's going on today, don't get me wrong, I still go in barbershops and stuff like that. I can't go in a barbershop and tell anybody respect my, my beliefs and stuff like that because I had to fight the whole barbershop. But the reality of it is, is when I do catch wind of what's going on. Even when I was in prison, I used to see the videos and stuff. The guys used to have a little, you know, hookup so they could watch World Star. And I'm looking at a bunch of kids with no shirts on, with assault rifles, standing in front of a wraith behind a trap house. And it's like the imagery, you know, says it all. I don't have to listen to the lyrics. I don't have to, you know, listen to the music. I could see the imagery. You know, in my generation, you know, with Bad Boy and Rockefeller and all of these, you know, these, 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 these major record companies and artists who were trying to show our youth that there's a way, there's an escape. They have places you can go. There's a such thing as a passport that takes you so far away from your environment. There's places they got waterfalls. Like we were trying to show a generation what it is to live, you know what I'm saying, an extravagant lifestyle due yeah. to like hard work and investing in things. And doing the right thing and, and yeah, staying exactly. in the studio right. and, and, and staying in the studio and off the streets. But Chuck, yeah. in, in, in terms of the, the way the music industry has changed too, and let's, let's not forget also too, all of this is happening last several years against this backdrop of this of the of the destabilization in the communities of the pandemic of the economic hardships of the the violence we're in a we're in a, a crime a huge crime wave all across the country in a lot of different cities a lot of different social it, mental health issues going on against the backdrop of all of that but in, in terms of how the music industry's changed i talked with a young grill artist who was in his teens he said i don't need a i don't need a manager i don't need this i can get on i can get on youtube get hot and I can start making money and then they're going to come to me. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to go begging for it. What gets them hot seems to be the most violent raps, the most violent videos. Absolutely. I mean, when you're looking at the, you know, right now, the hidden hand is the algorithm. You know, the hidden hand is is the um, the, the backdrop, whatever 
you know, whatever YouTube, whatever fuels YouTube, whatever fuels Instagram, whatever fuels Spotify. And most in most instances, we, we don't really think about it in that way. But when you look at, you know, any of those those platforms, you're looking at um, a situation where typically, you know, like the most, uh, if you will, negative stuff uh, rises to the top much, much easier. So if you have a bunch of black men in a room with guns, no shirts on, you know, for somebody that's a visit to the damn safari. You know what I mean? That's a, you know what I'm saying? You going to, you might as well be going to a zoo or something and you just looking in like, wow, look at these, you know, and then you, then you keep it moving. But a lot of people look at that over and over and over, you get a million views. And, and if the mood, and if the music is right, that's a deal waiting to happen. And they know that beefs are always enticing. Nobody rides past uh, a car crash and doesn't look. Most people slow down. Right. And that's what we're trying to get people to do in this uh, attention economy. Slow down, look at me, I exist, whatever the case may be. And then, and that's what all, almost all rappers are doing right now. All right, we're going to take a short, Amir, we'll come right back to you. We're going to take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Yo, what up? This your homie Ace Hood, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real poly tricks, and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about RICO versus rap, a growing number of federal cases, it seems, involving high-profile artists, the most recent being Sue Surf. We've seen Casanova. We've seen other artists throughout the years as well. And a growing number getting caught up in these cases that allege gang activity, a lot of times drugs and weapons possession, and even in some cases, murder conspiracies. But why is this happening now? Are they being targeted? Or are they trying to weeble wobble on a very narrow line of streets on one hand, music on the other? Or were they never separated in the first place? That's what we're talking about with our panel. I'm also going to ask them about the snitching, the S word, how how much that is going on in these federal cases as well. Joining me is Chuck Creekmer. He's the CEO and co-founder of allhiphop.com. Chuck, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Also with us is Phil Hamilton, criminal defense attorney and founding partner of Hamilton Clark LLP. Phil, great to have you with us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also with us is Amir Muhadid. He is the artist formerly known as Loon. He's currently working on food insecurity in America with his program, paid meals. And uh, he was incarcerated in the federal uh, system for about nine years. He's been home for several years and, and really just did a 180 with his life and is really trying to help other people and, and prevent other young men from going through what he had to go through and giving up those years and that and that time. But Amir, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thanks again, Lisa. We, we appreciate it. Phil, the S word, the snitching word is a very dirty word, especially in hip hop culture. How common is it with these federal cases? It's, it's, it's everyday practice. Um, you know, it, it's getting to the point, you know, me and my law partners discuss sometimes, it's kind of funny how the S word is even remaining dirty. It, it, I would presume it seems to be as in commonplace within hip hop and an understanding of the culture as it is within the courtroom. Everybody knows this. And, you know, I think from the criminal defense perspective, what I can tell you, over the course of my career, whether I'm in the federal courthouse, whether I'm in the state courthouse, it's happening everywhere. It's happening all the time. And typically people are racing to do it. Um, you know, Amir will tell you, like having been on a multi-defendant conspiracy matter, 
Now, right. Typically only as valuable to the government as you can give information that they can't get elsewhere, right? And so when you have a lot of these indictments drop, or even before, right, there's times where the FBI may come and pick you up before anybody even knows that there's an indictment, and they give you an opportunity to start providing information before someone else can jump on and take your seat. People take it all the time. I mean, when you're talking about trying to get out from like 10-year and 20-year mandatory minimums, and the only way Congress typically writes that you can get out is if you work with the government, give substantial information, and you can be in a position no different than Takashi 6ix9ine at the end of your case, right. where a judge can consider that. And even if you were facing upwards of 40 years, you can mess around and get time served, right? And there's like a lot of people who don't have 40 years worth of strength within them, no matter how much they were doing within the game, so to speak, right? And if they have that opportunity to be able to get out after one year or two years, they're gonna take it time and again in every case. There is typically a cooperator or a snitch that makes the case for the government. Everybody comes in all shocked and surprised, except for the attorneys who are either sitting in the room with the snitches, which you can imagine over the course of time I have been, or who are cross-examining them on the stand. It's no surprise to the attorneys Sometimes it's still like you noted, Lisa, it does tend to be a dirty word in hip hop. But at this point, I'm starting to wonder why. Like, you know, it's there and it's not going. Anywhere. And, and everybody. So, so in an, an indictment like this, like the Sue Serp one, where there it was a superseding indictment, there were nine other individuals, so, you know, at least about nine other individuals. So what percentage of them like do they like does everybody try to make a deal or? Yeah, everybody tries to, let me put it to you like this. Let me be frank. There are, you you do have individuals who are just like, I don't care. Like, I'll do the time. Like, I'm living by that code and and I'm not coming off of it. And as an attorney, you have a conversation with those people and you say, hey, okay, we're not going that route. We're about to litigate this and we're going to see ultimately if we can beat the government in any way, in, you know, other ways. But what I am saying is if you're talking about 17 people, typically on a multi-defendant indictment, if you want anecdotal percentages for me, yeah, just roughly in the 90s, 95% that out of 17 people, someone is cooperating substantially because they are not going to deal with the time that even when they were in the game and doing whatever they were doing, they were happy about it. They were posting on IG about it. They're putting it out there for validity. But the minute it gets real, when it's not about the music, but it's about that you may end up doing 10 years in West Virginia or, you know, Nevada or somewhere way far away from your family in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, people are running into the government's office and begging to, to try and sit down. Chuck, what about also what, what about the, the culture of self-snitching that I call it? I call it that basically self-snitching in the lyrics and in the and in the videos. This this continues to shock me where they're using a gun, a real gun that was used in a real crime. Right. Shouting out real addresses, like street locations. You know, Lisa, and then these people come into this office and are just like, what can you do for me? Right. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you got the yeah, gun right here. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, right. your whole case you, you said exactly what you did in the crime, in the lyrics. Right. What do you want to do? You, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, we can mitigate. Maybe we can help you get a lesser sentence. But once you've confessed that crime, right. unless you get in one of these states where they've passed the law where you can't use rap lyrics now as a means with which to, you know, convict someone until there's a crime committed but if there's a crime committed they can that ties directly yeah. 
And some it's of the like, like who, who which, raised the culture? What do you what do you think about this? Because you you know too, you you were around also too with it in hip hop when it was like you don't talk about it. If you did time, you were you you just you say, oh, I went away. Like people did, oh yeah, we had some stuff on the streets. It, it wasn't super specific with like the you know the video, the location, all of that. You know, it's, it's just changed. I mean, you know, Jadakiss one time said, I don't got no felonies, I'm good with crimes. You know, it's just a bragging, you know, he's just bragging or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think that we grew up in a period of time and I'm blessed to say that, um, you know, the 80s and the 90s and, and that and that period was was the, probably the best period in 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 music, period. But I think also there were codes, there was, you know, there were ways of doing things and i think that the ogs were the ogs and they taught you know the the the, the youngers the younger ones what to do what not to do and so on and so forth just on a basic not even not even music just basic being a regular human being and now i think on that period of time we worship certain artists like tupac and i think a lot of this is you know maybe on the same tree family tree and um you got to say everything, you know, maybe 50 Cent is a part of that, too. You got to say maybe just a little bit too much and there are ramifications on the streets to get to um, get attention. The, the, the sad thing, though, is a lot of these people are willing to deal with whatever, whatever comes, you know, even death doesn't seem to impact people in the same way. Chuck, you've spoken out a lot about this whole idea of no no mentorship and, and also the structure of the, the music industry, that there's no. You know, there's very few A and R's. There's no, there's no like older guy who's kind of been came from the same background or same challenges. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think I think that you know the the industry is here to make money. They're not here to do anything but make money. That's it at this point. Um, I do think at at a certain point when you had your Russell Simmons, your Diddies, you know Chris Lighty, and, and a bunch of other people, moguls and and people that came from the culture, they cared and the and the hip hop. You know, hip hop then was about a lot of other different things. Um, it was not about getting hit with a RICO charge. You know what I mean? I mean, it was, that was literally the last thing that it was about. Yeah. And so um, I feel like the music industry also no longer wants those major stars to exist anymore. It's better to just get a hundred pennies, make a dollar, rather than have somebody worth a whole dollar. You know what I'm saying? And that's just how I feel about it. And I know that some of the people we've had on here before don't agree with that. But with that level of stardom is a certain amount of power, a lot of influence. And the culture that we hold dear goes in a different direction when somebody from the culture is at the top, rather than the hidden hand, the hidden algorithm, the people that want these types of artists on the Spotify, as soon as you log on, you're looking at somebody that's killing a thousand black people indicting them you know basically indicting themselves and and um confessing to all this stuff and um that's you know loon go ahead i just want to say man i'm still hopeful i just want to conclude this by saying i'm very much still hopeful because Mm -hmm. these young kids are in very privileged positions they're in very influential positions and, you know, like what I do with paid bills. Now, I would challenge a lot of these young artists to come join me and feed in some of the, you know, people who suffer from food insecurity or doing things that kind of like balance out some of the activity that takes place in, in the music industry. Because if it becomes 
just a 24 hour consistent cycle of the same type of activity, the likelihood of you falling into this trap with this Rico or conspiracy is, 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 is inevitable. You know what I'm saying? But if you can start, like if some of us, you know, in this gathering here can start trying to direct some of these youth to doing a little bit more impactful things in the community, things that could balance it out. And I'm going to say this in closing. When you think about like how the mob was, and I'm saying this as taking a lesser evil, I'm not trying to condone anything or even, but I'm just saying, you saw these guys as businessmen. You seen right. these guys doing things that True. did not reflect what they were doing in the dark. And it goes back to what Phil keep pointing out when I pointed out before. The balance, they have no balance. It got to be some balance. You know what I'm saying? You can't propagate crime, violence, and then release a liquor. It's like, you you, you know what I'm saying? That's like, that's, that's, the, that's retarded to me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I think these kids have a lot of potential. I'm very hopeful at some point they're going to come to some realization what their true value is in their communities. And hopefully by law's permission, they'll start being Hello, inclined Lane. to that. How long, how long do we deal with this? How many people have to die? And how many teenagers die? have to die? We got to get more involved, man. We're involved, but bruh, we're involved. We all, like a lot of us are involved for real, for real. And yeah. so we're, it's like you're up against us. You look at a skyscraper, not even a mountain. You're looking at like, how do I climb to the top of the skyscraper? You know what I mean? Like I can visualize. That's how you get there. One step at a time, man. You know, if we stay at the bottom looking up, you know. I feel you. I mean, I'm going nowhere. <laughs> I'm in it. I'm in it to win, bro. I mean, I know you are. I know, I know, you are. I know Lisa is. I always tell Lisa, she, she's a warrior by heart. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think. Phil is fighting a great fight as well. You know, we talk a lot about a lot of the endeavors he go through. And, it, and it's serious that, you know, you have people like yourself, Chuck, who do have a platform, you know what I'm saying, that definitely plays a very significant role in how this vehicle moves. You have Phil out there trying to defend some of these young kids from throwing their lives away. You got myself out there trying to take a whole nother course of action that nobody probably never perceived coming from the career and background I came from. And you got Lisa out here been consistent all these years fighting the same fight, you know, unwavering, you know what I'm saying? So it just takes more people like us to collectively get together and start not only just addressing the problem and identifying with the problem, but we really do have to start coming up with some Boots on the ground, boots on the ground. And right. Amir, if you, if you, if paid meals, I know you, I know you had a, a recent thing, something recent in New York City. But if you come back around the holidays, I, we will be there with a camera and we'll be there hey, with volunteers. I'm going to speak for every one of my panelists here. We're going to we'll, we'll get people out there and and get the youth and get the youth involved too, serving serving the community so they can feel a different kind of satisfaction from just going Absolutely. viral on Absolutely. a on a video on social media. Yeah, put me in the game, coach. All right, <laughs> all right, guys. I want. I am in the game. <laughs> Just, you know what they say when you, when you can't win the game, change the rules. That's what we're doing. All right, here we go. Um, I want to thank you guys for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Chuck Creekmer, Phil Hamilton, Amir Muhadith. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all. <laughs>